Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, get a copy of God's Word in front of you to the book of 1 John. And if you need uh, if you need a copy of God's Word, you will find one under a seat nearby you. Just grab that, and uh, 1 John will be towards the back of that Bible. But have, if able, have a copy of God's Word in front of you today. Also, if you uh, don't yet have a sermon series guide, grab one of these on your way out. Uh, sermon notes for today, page 26 on that, if you want to get there uh, this morning in your sermon series guide as well. Hey, um, I think all of us would agree there's something about light that draws us, that intrigues us, and there's something about light that can even captivate us. Uh, I, I got a reminder of this last weekend. We were having a little fire in our fire pit on the back patio, and uh, they're, they're, I looked over at my two-year-old and my four-year-old, and they had fallen into the bonfire effect. Do you know what the bonfire effect is? All of a sudden, they were silent and just mindlessly staring at the little flames dancing in front of them. Now, they did have a bowl of gummy bears between them. That probably helped, um, but, but I was I just smiled at that, and I'm like, whoa, how cool right now. Like, no one's talking. There's no phones out. We're all just kind of staring into this fire here, the bonfire effect. Or um, how many of you have seen, like, an awesome heat lightning show, you know, summer night and clouds coming by and just an awesome display? Like, at that time, as you're watching just lightning go crazy in a cloud, you're not pulling your phone out. You're not checking, you know, you're not, you're just watching, this awesome light show that God's putting on before you. And all of us know the peace and tranquility that comes from a sunrise or a sunset, right? Just no words necessary. Let's just all stop talking right now and just enjoy this beautiful light display in front of us. There's something about light that just as human beings, we're drawn to, we're intrigued by, and at times we're just downright captivated by it. Now, I, th- I think that with that in mind, it helps us as we come to one of the largest themes we'll see in all of John's writing. The Apostle John, who's writing this letter we're studying, studying, he often will bring up this theme of light and darkness. We see it all through his gospel. We see it all through the letters he's written in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And I want you to look, if you will, at what it says in verse 5 here. 1st John chapter 1, verse 5 says, this is the message we have heard from him, heard from Jesus, and proclaimed to you that God is what? That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, that verse right there is a really, really important verse for the next large chunk of this book that we're studying. Um, The concept of God as light serves as a banner or a header over of much of what is to come here. And uh, we're going to take some time both this week and next week, kind of think of today and next week as one really long sermon. Uh, So part one coming today, when we talk about what does it mean that God is light? What is John trying to convey to us with God is light? And then the first, today we're going to get to the first implication of what that should mean for us who claim to follow Jesus as people of light. Uh, Next week, we get to the second part of this paragraph, verses 8 through 10, and we'll talk about how uh, us being people of light, how that should interact with um, how we confess sin. And so there's really this statement we'll summarize today and next week. And the statement is this, because God is light, God's people walk in the light and bring their sin into the light. And today we really want to camp out on what does it mean uh, if we are God's people, what does it mean to walk in 
the light. And that's where we're going to camp out today. And so if I can, I want to read this whole paragraph. I want to pray for the Holy Spirit's help. And then we're going to chop this up together today. So 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Pray with me. Father God, we come to you now. And Lord, we just confess right from the beginning, we are here for you. Plain and simple, that's it. We're here for you, Lord. We're here because we want you to instruct us through your word. We're here because, Lord, there is nothing else that we just sang about that can rival you. And yet we live in a world that wants to bombard us with rival lowercase g gods, these idols. But, Lord, you are unrivaled. There is no one like you. And so, Lord, we want to set aside this time to feast on your word right here, God. Please, would you feed us through your word? Holy Spirit, would you help us understand it clearly? And Lord, please, would you make sure the messenger of your word today preaches it clearly? God, would you guard my mouth as your word goes forth? Lord, I just pray. Lord, would you accomplish in every heart that which you set out to do today? And most of all, Lord, I've been praying all morning. Lord, would you call any uh, who are here that need to be called from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your glorious son? Lord, would that happen this morning? Lord, we trust your spirit to do that work now through the proclamation of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start right at the top, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So ready, ready for a first point? Really? Uh, ready for it? Here it is. God is light. You see where I got that? Now, it's, super, it's pretty straightforward, pretty obvious, but it's really important that we see that because, as I said at the outset, that serves as a banner over what's coming here. And now, I want to just take some time to slow down here and talk about what in the world does it mean that God is light. And certainly this won't be an exhaustive discussion on this topic. I would encourage you to go do some self-study this week on what does it mean when uh, God is referred to as light in the scriptures? What does it mean when Jesus is called light? But I, I want to spend some time to talk about what might John be getting at as he, as he unpacks God as light. And the first thing I want to highlight is this. This is a statement about the character and very nature of who God is. This is a, y'all ready to worship right now? Let's talk about some doctrine of God. You're all ready for that, right? Doctrine of God is not dry, boring, or dusty. It has huge implications. Are we ready to worship over these truths, right? God is flawless. Perfect in every way. He is, he's never messed up even a little bit. God has not thought a careless thought. He's not spoken a careless word. 
He is completely other. And when John talks about God as light, and when he, when he expounds on that by saying, and in him is no darkness at all, God is light, and there's not one little teeny tiny speck of darkness to be found in the character of who he is. He is perfect in every way. He is pure light. Come on, church, right? And so he's, he's flawless. And I think as, as, as John talks about God as light, he's getting at the character and nature of who God is. But kind of uh, unpacking that a little bit more, um, God as light also seems to be a reference and a connection um, to God, the giver of life. In John's writing, often you find this idea of light and life connected closely. When John began his gospel, here's what we find in John 1, 4. It says this, in him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. Um, God as light, um, God is the giver of life. God is the sustainer of life. God is the redeemer of life. God is the one who regenerates us and gives us spiritual life. Apart from, apart from this God, we have no life. Think about what God did in the book of Genesis as he's bringing order out of chaos. The very first thing that God spoke into existence, and oh, by the way, never let that stop blowing your mind. God said stuff and stuff appeared. He spoke the universe into existence. What's the first thing that God said? Let there be, let there be light. And that's where he begins to mold and shape this order out of chaos, leading to life, plant life, animal life, and then the creation of human beings. I think in John's writing, you find God is light connected to life over and over and over again. Here's an important one. Not only do you find this idea of God as light connected to life, you also find the idea of God as light in John's writing connected to truth. So God is light. God reveals truth. He discloses truth. If you have lost something, it's much harder to find the lost something in the dark than it is the light. Am I right? So sometime between midnight and 2 a.m. nearly every night, one or maybe both of our twins will wake up. It's a beautiful sound to wake up to at that hour. It really is. And we will sneak in. And uh, parents, you might have remembered these days, or some of you are living them, you, you feel all over the nursery room for the pacifier, right? Anyone remember those days? And often it takes, you can't turn the overhead light on. That would just be foolish, okay? Don't do that. So it takes, you bring your phone in, you turn on the flashlight, you have to flashlight around the, the nursery until you can find the pacifier, get it back in their mouth. Um, you need light to disclose things. You need light to reveal things. Uh, throughout John's writing, we're going to find a close connection to light and truth. God is the revealer of truth, and that, this is important. In the day and age we live, in the culture and the messages that we're bombarded with, we need the Holy Spirit to continuously be, be revealing truth to us. Am I right? Before we know it, we can be, I, we're all guilty of it, right? Like, we can be walking down a path and be like, yeah, that's true, that's true, that's true. Holy smokes, whoa, that is not true. And we didn't even see it. We need the Holy Spirit as the revealer of truth to us, and God as light reveals us. And now, here's what I've been worshiping the most under this heading of God as light this morning. God as light is revealed perfectly in the second person of the Trinity, a God come in flesh, Jesus Christ, walking on this earth. You want to know, like, what, what does God as light mean? Look at Jesus. Jesus said this in John chapter 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so John said, he gets to this section and he says, this is the message we've heard from Jesus, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And we just have to stop there and dwell and worship and meditate on our God who is the God of light. But now you might be going, okay, cool, like cool reminder of the nature and character of God, some, some neat stuff in there, but, but how does that theology hit the streets? Meaning, like, what, what does that have to do with how we live this week? I'm, go, I'm going to school tomorrow. I'm going to work tomorrow. I'm, I'm going back to hang out with family. How does that inform what my life as a Jesus follower should look like? I'm so glad you asked. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, next two words, what's it say? We lie. And do not practice the truth. Don't you just wish John would just been more direct there, right? Hey, here's the deal. John's like, I love you. His heart's very pastoral in this letter. His tone is very pastoral. But he's just like, because I, because I love you, because I love people, here's the truth. If, if, if we say or if someone says they have fellowship with God, but they're walking, the idea of walking that we find in the New Testament is this, this picture of living life but they're living life, they're walking in darkness, um, we lie. Or they, that person's lying. And they do not practice the truth. But good news, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so we, we come to verse 5, and John's like, hey, here's the deal. You need to know this. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. And now, and now if anyone says that they have fellowship with him, while they're walking the darkness, they lie. The truth's not in them. You're like, why in the world does John come right out of the gates in this letter, like so direct, so, so loving, yes, but so direct. Let me just remind us, and I'll try to remind us every week through this series, the context in which we find this letter You've, you have this group, uh, chapter, 12, t- chapter 2 helps us understand, you have this group who've pulled out of the Jesus community. John says, they've, they've gone out from us, but you need to know something, they were never among us. Um, we don't know exactly the details of the teaching that has pulled them away. A lot of it has to do with this, this idea of Gnosticism. We'll get into it when we get into chapter 2. But, but kind of it's this idea that like, hey, hey, we're the really enlightened ones. Like, you guys thought you had all the knowledge and the truth, but, but you're missing something. You need to come over here with us if you really want to be enlightened. And I think John is saying, no, 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 remember, God is light. And anyone who is really of light, anyone who really says they have fellowship with this God of light, will not walk in the darkness. John is warning here. He wants these Christians, these real Christians, to rest assured in their in Christness. He doesn't want them pulled away into this false teaching of this, this group has pulled, who's pulled out of the Jesus community. And I think he's speaking so lovingly and yet so directly to say, no, 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 you need to remember. They might claim to still have fellowship with God. But no one who really has fellowship with God will go out and walk in the darkness like that. In the pastoral heart of John... It's given some teaching here to guard the people. 
and to allow them to rest assured in this. So God is light, and there's implications for us in this. Thus, God's people don't walk in darkness, but God's people walk in the light. Now, this is an important teaching for us. That God is light, and if anyone in here claims fellowship with God, the characteristic pattern of that person's life will be to be of a light walker, a walker in the light. And then John, so lovingly, yet so directly making us curl up our toes so he doesn't step on them, he warns us, if you say you have fellowship, but you're walking in the darkness, you're lying. And so let's unpack this a bit. Uh, three, three types of people that I think this... this um, passage draws out three types of people that are sitting in the room here today and just want to work us through these three types of people. The first, uh, first group, these are people who claim to have fellowship with God and are walking in the light. These are true Christians, true followers of Jesus, claiming fellowship, claiming faith in Christ, and and, and their life would indicate that their heart has been transformed, that the, that the, that the Lord has, 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 has reached down and saved them, and he's sent their life on a new direction, not, not perfectly, because we get to the second half of the paragraph that talks about us confessing our sin, right? Not perfectly, but patternly. The pattern of their life has changed. They're walking in the light. Now, what does it mean to walk in the light? That can be kind of an abstract. You're like, am I walking in the light? I think I am. I confess to know Christ. Am I, am I walking in the light? I actually think these recurring themes we find in the book of 1 John help us understand what light walkers look like. Uh, remember what the recurring themes we've talked about are. The first one is this. True believers believe in the true Jesus. And that's really important. That the, that the one who walks in the light, the one who follows after Jesus, really knows the true Jesus. Not spin-off of something some culture says who Jesus is. Not some spin-off of something some agnostic religion professor told us Jesus was. No, the true biblical Jesus, as the apostles lay him out to us as eyewitnesses in the Holy Spirit-inspired New Testament accounts who, oh, by the way, fulfills so many Old Testament, Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah. Come on, church. What we have is so good. The true, true believers, walkers in the light, they believe in the true Jesus. The second thing, that true believers love one another. It, I always find it remarkable that Jesus says, here's how, here's how you know them. Here's how you know my people. Look for the love. Man. Here's how you know them. Look for my love. That true believers, those really walking in the light, it'll, that community will be known by love. That person will be known by the love of Jesus. The third one, true believers don't live in a pattern of sin and disobedience. I didn't say perfection, but true believers don't live in this pattern, this life-dominating pattern of a direction of walking away from Jesus. So this first group are those who claim fellowship with God, 
and are living in the light as we see it laid out to us in this book. Now, I want you to look back in your Bibles. There's some awesome blessings. Who wants to see some awesome blessings of what it looks like when we walk in the light? Come on. That's right. Yeah. If we walk, uh, if we walk in the light, verse 7, as he is in the light, here's the first blessing it unpacks for us. We have fellowship with one another. I heard one. One's like, yeah. Like, they, they got that, right? They're like, yeah. But that's huge. We talked about this last week, that we can struggle with the concept of what does the fellowship of the believers look like? And uh, often we boiled it down to punching cookies after the service in the church gym, right? But, but the fellowship of the believers is the heart-tying, unifying communion that only the Holy Spirit can give to a group of people. It goes deeper than the closest sports team you've ever been a part of. It goes deeper than any, like, activity group that you're like, man, that was a really cool thing. It goes deeper than your Zeta Delta Tau brothers or sisters of your fraternity or sorority. Really, it goes deeper than that, I promise. It is a heart-unifying communion given only by the Holy Spirit. And because God has created us as people for community. One of the unbelievable blessings and byproducts of light walkers is they know the fellowship of the believers. It's so, think about that. You come to this and you, you read verse seven and you expect John to say, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God. Isn't that what you expected? And he starts, once again, he did it earlier and he did it again by highlighting the blessings of the fellowship with one another. This horizontal fellowship that comes from those who truly know Jesus. But he doesn't keep it horizontal. He gets vertical. Ready to get vertical? So one of the blessings of light walkers is fellowship among the believers. But the second one, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, the second benefit of knowing that you know God and you're walking in the light It's the freedom of knowing all of our sin has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus followers, listen. Dwell on that reality for a minute. That verse just told you that the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all sin. I don't know if you find this. I find this. The enemy is a master deceiver. He lies. And he lies to me often. And when the enemy is getting me to think in a non-biblical way, he will have me draw this line down the middle of my mind, and he will put small sins on one side of my past, and he'll put big sins on the other side of my past. And I'll say, yeah, 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 the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to cleanse you from the smallest. But Brock, let's, let's rehash those big ones. That's not of the Lord. That's of the enemy. Because the blood of Jesus has the power to cleanse you from all sin. Don't let him deceive you and lie to you that there's some sin of your past, even that one thing on that one night in that one season, that the blood of Jesus Christ is not powerful enough to cleanse you from. And you live in the freedom of the gospel in that. And so this first group, uh, those who claim fellowship with God and walk in light and the blessings that come from that. There's a second group that I think 
uh, this passage gets at and are in the room here, no doubt, today. Um, these are those who don't claim any fellowship with God, would not, yeah, I'm not a Christian. I don't have any interest in Jesus. I don't, um, they claim no fellowship with God and they're walking in the darkness. Now, the question is, why, if God said that we can walk in the darkness, why would anyone choose to walk in the darkness? John 3 answers that question. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Like, as hard as it is for me to confess to you for 19 years of my life, I didn't come to Jesus because I loved the darkness. And until someone does come to Jesus, they love the darkness. Well, why are they walking in darkness? Because they love the darkness. And they don't want to come to light lest their deeds be exposed. Now, I had to remember something this week. When I got to this part of thinking about those who are walking in darkness, immediately in my mind came the overt thoughts of um, overt Satan worshipers and people who are part of like the Hell's Angel biker group. And then I had to remember, those walking in darkness are anyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's your really nice neighbor who's a really great guy and mows your lawn while you're gone and doesn't know Jesus as his Savior. It's that really, really good friend, and they've been loyal, and they've been tight, but they have never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, and they're walking in darkness. And sometimes I can get fooled in my mind when I see, like, good moral behavior and forget that apart from Jesus Christ, we are all walking in darkness until he calls us to himself the light. And so there's those claiming fellowship with God and walking in the light. There's those who don't have fellowship with God and are walking in the darkness. And then this passage brings up the most, um, I think, the most dangerous place to be. Those who... uh, those who claim fellowship with God but are walking or living a life in the darkness. And us Midwestern American Christians, I'm most, I'm most concerned for those in the room here today who might fall into this category. I'm concerned for the person, and this was me, 19 years. I'm concerned for the person who says they have fellowship with God because of a decision for Christ they made at some point in their life. And I'm not anti-decision. In fact, before the sermon's done, I'm going to give an opportunity to make a decision for Christ. So don't walk out, okay? If you're like, no, 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 I'm a decision person. I am too. I'm concerned for the person who raised a hand, walked an aisle, prayed a prayer after someone, and, and, and then the person from the front said, if you did that today, you can know that you're saved, and no direction of your life ever changed after that. I'm concerned for that person who says they have fellowship with God because of some decision point in their life that didn't change the direction towards the lordship of Jesus Christ at all after that. 
that they would say they have fellowship, but just kept walking in darkness. I'm concerned for the person in the room who's grown up in a Christian home, and you know all the Christianese. Uh, you, you, you know it all. And you could say, like, I, I, I don't ever remember a time that I didn't know stuff about God. I'm really concerned if you lived a, an above-average moral life compared to your peers. And that's brought you into this belief that you're good. But you've never seen your sin against a holy and perfect God. And it's never led you to repent and cast all of your hope on what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. I'm concerned for those in the room who are convictionlessly persisting in sin. And now hear me, I believe there are legitimate Jesus followers in the room struggling with some deep sin issues right now. I'm concerned for the one who can persist convictionlessly in them and then put a Band-Aid on it of Jesus loves me. I'm concerned for the one who can go through all the ritual routine of what Christianity looks like in our society. You go to church, you go to small group, you do the things. And yet the affections of your heart never warm to who Christ is. And again, I'm not saying the legitimate Christian who has moments where you don't feel near to the Lord. Church, this spring, I felt so distant from the Lord. In it, I, I knew I was his still. And I knew Jesus loved me still. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking of the person who does all the Christian motions but has never had their heart warmed to the truth of who Jesus is. I'm concerned for the person in here who has all the head knowledge in the world. You can probably outduel anyone in a theological conversation. You can wax eloquent on the doctrine of justification, but the doctrine of justification that you can outline in your head has never, has never settled in your heart. I'm so thankful for the book of First John, God loving us enough to say to us, it's possible for you to claim fellowship with me and just to be walking in the darkness. Don't be confused, legitimate Christian, right now. If you truly know Jesus, Rest in that truth. And if you're in a season where you're just in, like you feel distant from the Lord or life's hard, don't assume that you're over there okay. I'm talking right now to those of us in the room who under the, like the Holy Spirit is doing work right now to show you that you are here or you are there. 
that you've walked into this place today never, never having entered a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're walking in the darkness. I'm talking about the per- to the person right now who, who, who walked into this place thinking that they had a relationship with Jesus, but you're realizing the Holy Spirit's opening your eyes and drawing you to himself to say, no, 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 you, you knew some form of religiosity, but you've never known me. You've never surrendered your life to me. My question for us is how do we, if we're in the darkness here, whether we walked in knowing we're in the darkness or whether we walked in thinking we're in the light but we're really in the darkness, how do we go from darkness to light? How do we be be called from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the light of the glory of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? The most important thing I want to tell you to start is you don't have the power to turn your own light on. You, you will think you do, and the enemy will try to convince you, okay, here's how you do it. Go be a good person. Go be super moral. Good start. You went to church. Check. Now go do some moral deeds this week. You don't have the power to turn your own light on. You don't have the power to change your heart. You don't have the power to rehab yourself. You need a rescuer. You need a deliverer. You need a savior. And he's come, and his name is Jesus. To illustrate this, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, book number five, Chronicles of Narnia, It was sitting on my chair in first service, and I looked at the college guy behind me. I said, hey, Chronicles of Narnia there. If the sermon gets boring, just you can grab it and read it for you. Book five, uh, Eustace Scrub. He's the character you love to hate. He's selfish. He's greedy. He's a little twerp. C.S. Lewis, I mean... Beautiful writing. He turns into a a dragon in the book. It's this outward, overt picture of who Eustace Scrub is on the inside. There comes a point in the story where Eustace is so, like he's so over himself and he's so done with being this dragon and he's miserable and he has no idea how to fix it. Let me just read this to us and let's see the ties to Jesus. I looked up and I saw the very last thing I expected, a huge lion coming slowly toward me. And one weird thing was that there was no moon last night, but there was moonlight where the lion was. So it came nearer and nearer. I was terribly afraid of it. You may think that being a dragon, I could have knocked any lion out easily enough, but it wasn't that kind of fear. I wasn't afraid of it eating me. I was just afraid of it. If you can understand. Well, it came close up to me and looked straight into my eyes, and I shut my eyes tight, but that wasn't any good because it told me to follow it. You mean it spoke? I don't know. Now that you mention it, I don't, I don't think it did, but it told me all the same, and I knew I'd have to do what it told me, so I got up and followed it, and, led, and it led me a long way into the mountains, and there was always this moonlight over and round the lion wherever we went. So at last we came to the top of a mountain I'd never seen before. And on the top of this mountain, there was a garden, trees and fruit and everything. In the middle of it, there was a well. 
I knew it was a well because you could see the water bubbling up from the bottom of it, but it was a lot bigger than most wells, like a very big round bath with marble steps going down into it. The water was as clear as anything, and I thought if I could get in there and bathe, it would ease the pain in my leg. But the lion told me I must undress first. Mind you, I don't know if he said any words out loud or not. I was just going to say that I couldn't undress because I hadn't any clothes on when I suddenly thought that dragons are snaky sort of things and snakes can cast their skins. Oh, of course, thought I. That's what the lion means. So I started scratching myself and my scales began coming off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper and instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully like it does after an illness or as if I was a banana. In a minute or two, I just stepped out of it. I could see it lying there beside me looking rather nasty. It was a most lovely feeling. So I started to go down into the well for my bathe. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw that they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as they had been before. Oh, that's all right, said I. It only means I had another smaller suit on underneath the first one, and I'll have to get out of it too. So I scratched and tore again, and this underskin peeled off beautifully. And out I stepped and and left it lying beside the other one and went down to the well for my bathe. Well, exactly the same thing happened again. And I thought to myself, oh dear, however many skins have I to take off? For I was longing to bathe my legs, so I scratched away for the third time and got off a third skin, just like the others two, and stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You you know, if you've ever picked the scab of a sore, it hurts like bilio, but it's such fun to see it coming away. I know exactly what you mean, said Edmund. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it to myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I'd turned into a boy again. You'd think me simply phony if I told you how I felt about my own arms. I know they've no muscle and are pretty moldy compared with Caspians, but I was so glad to see them. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me. Dressed you with his paws? Well, I don't, I, didn't, I don't exactly remember that bit, but he did somehow or other, and new clothes, the same I've got on now, as a matter of fact, and then suddenly I was back here, which is what makes me think it must have been a dream. It wasn't a dream, said Edmund. Why not? Well, there are the clothes, for one thing, and you've been, well, undragoned for another. What do you think it was then, asked Eustace? I think you've seen Aslan. You can't peel your own skin off. No matter how hard you try, 
you can't turn your own light on. You must lay down and surrender and let one more powerful than you do the work on your behalf. You must see Jesus. And in seeing Jesus today, you must surrender to Jesus. For those of you who walked in in darkness with no spiritual desire in you at all, today is the day to lay down and surrender and to tell the Lord, I surrender. Jesus, I surrender. No more of me, all of you. Take my life I want to follow. Don't pack up. If you've walked in here today having some aspect of spiritual interest, some form of religion, but denying the power thereof, having known so much about Jesus, but you've never known him, and the Holy Spirit is showing you that today, and he's calling you from darkness into light. Today is the day to lie down and surrender, to see Jesus and to surrender to Jesus and to let him do what he wants to do today. He said in there, the first three times I took my own skin off, it didn't hurt. The time Jesus did, it hurt like anything. The time Aslan did, it hurt like anything. But then that pain went away. Jesus is calling some of you today to turn away from your old life. And yes, it will hurt for a moment. Why? Because you've loved the darkness. But he's calling you into the glorious of glorious light, which is incomparable to any of the fleeting pleasures of darkness you've experienced before this. So today, would the church walk out today knowing everyone has seen and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, having been called out of darkness and into light? There's a perfect moment for us to wrestle with which lamp we are. There's a perfect moment for those of you who have never trusted Jesus to trust him right now. And there's a perfect moment for those of you who are in light and have no Christ to dwell on these truths. And we're going to take communion here. And if you're serving communion, you can head to the back and get ready to pass out the elements. Communion is a time for those who've trusted Jesus Christ as their savior to remember that very thing we've talked about here. His shed blood for us on the cross that has the power to cleanse us of all sin once we call on him in faith. God in his goodness to us instituted communion for us to take time as his church to remember that sacrifice. The Bible has some really important things to say about it. It says that we don't take of this in an unworthy manner says that this is a time for us to examine our heart. He tells us this is, a, this is a time and a remembrance for those who've truly put their faith in Jesus Christ. So I just have us now take these moments to reflect on the truths of the day, to remember what Jesus has done on our behalf. And I would just implore you again, if you walked in here not knowing Jesus as your Savior in these quiet moments right now, May you see him, may you savor him, and may you surrender in faith, making him your Lord today. I'll be back up to lead us through in a minute.